to episode 56 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. This episode was recorded, it might not be uh, put out there, but it's certainly recorded on Saturday, December the 4th, 2010. Hi everyone, uh, this is Carlton Reed from bikebiz.com and quickrelease.tv, and I, today, will be your host and producer uh, for this episode of The Spokesman. David, your normal host, is otherwise engaged today. I believe his parents are around for lunch, but I have noticed him tweeting. So I think he's just doing this as a, as a test for me. I don't know. Well, but anyway, punishment. I, I think it might be. Um, now, this, while we're here and while we're all um, around this table, we could say this virtual table, I'd just like to put out a, a plug for David and that is uh, I'm sure everybody around here listens to his Fredcast show now there's a, an award that uh, we can all go and nominate or, or vote for David um, and that is uh, the podcastawards.com so if we could all make it uh, across to there and press the button for David's show that'd be really cool now this is the spokesman show and we've got a packed show as usual we've gone through all the topics beforehand and we think we've got a, a whole bunch of stuff that people would like to, to hear about. Now, for show notes and for more information about The Spokesman, please go to www.the hyphen, you must have the hyphen, spokesman.com. And if you don't put the hyphen in, uh, that's not us. Uh, and believe me, it's not us. Now, here are The Spokesman. I'm going to bring up, first of all, because this is his second time on the show, and, and, and Jim can maybe tell us a bit more about himself uh we, we heard about you from last time jim but just give us a a, a brief praise of who you are jim jim moss hi there i'm an attorney um normally everyone turns off right then so i don't need to say much more but hopefully this crew will last a little longer my specialty in the law is i work for the defense side of the recreation industry so manufacturers and retailers and outfitters and guides in the cycling industry are my clients. Excellent. And uh, I've, I've now had a look at a whole bunch of materials that you, you produce quite a few things there, don't you, online? You're a social media yeah. maven in, in that kind of field. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, let's bring in uh, a very, very regular uh, guest on the show, and that's Tim, Tim Jackson. Good morning, guys. Good morning. It's, of course, it's... it's, it's, it's it's, it's afternoon here, of course, yeah. and it, it's what, what time do we have, everybody? We have how many people are on? Uh, it's eight o'clock here on the west. Eight o'clock. So what we got? Eight o'clock. So it's four o'clock here. What do you got there, Jim? Nine o'clock Mountain Standard Time. Cool. Okay. From lovely Denver. Okay, and uh, our final guest of the day is Rich of Interbike. Rich Kelly. Hi, Rich. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good night. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, my day's also, over. I also on the west coast, uh, about forty minute drive north of uh, Tim right now. Mm-hmm. What kind of weather we got there? Because we we've just had uh, huge snowstorms in the uh, in the UK, and we're all snowed in. How about how about everybody across there? You're you're sweltering in in heat, it's I guess. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. There there are clouds in the sky, <laughs> um, and later on when I go for my ride, I, I'm I'm probably going to have to put on a base layer and my thin arm warmers. I don't need, know if I'll need my knee warmers yet, but. It's kind of breezy. Um, I think it's probably hovering somewhere in the low 60s. So it, it's uh, Winter Storm 2010 watch is definitely in. Mm. Well, last week I think we had our first frost in that <laughs> I can remember. And I think it was probably yeah. punishment for when we did those uh, winter riding tips a few episodes ago where I said, <laughs> oh, I just need some arm warmers. And all of a sudden we're in the you know, high of 60, maybe, if we were lucky there for a while. Yeah. Well, I just got back from lovely. Pittsburgh and... Uh, uh, upstate New York, where it was a little bit cooler. Mm. I got this, I, you know, like an idiot, I went outside to my hotel room first thing in the morning and stood in the snow as it's coming down, and the the maintenance crew is walking by looking at me like, what is wrong with you? Mm. Standing standing went, out there with my, with my arms outstretched, catching snowflakes on my tongue. Yeah. Mm. I went skiing yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Well, so did I, actually. On our hill opposite our house, it's uh, down your driveway. Uh, we, I actually skied down our, our drive, uh, our road, just opposite the house. Yeah, but just little blades, just took them out because we've had snow for like ten days now. So it's, it was the first time I got out there for skiing, but not you're, like you're out North, there. You're in northern England, right? Yes, yes. The whole of the UK's now had it, but we had it the worst and for the longest. 
So it's, it's been wonderful because no cars around. Very, very few cars are traveling. They're all just entombed in snow. So it makes it very quiet on the roads if you're, you're out there on, on your bike, which is great. So, so have you got your spiked ice tires on? I have, and the kids have got them on too. The only person I haven't got spiked tires for is my wife. But mm. uh, they're coming, but of course the postman can't get here. Yeah. So yeah, he's got was, spiked tires for her. Things, that was one of the fun things about being back east uh, on this trip this week was that nearly every shop I went into had spiked tires. Mm. And you just you just don't see that in Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't see it in the UK. The, I, these are mostly special order and, and kind of internet stuff. But I, I guess if we're going to have this, is now the second year we've had this incredible winter. I think we'll have to have these things. If we're going to carry on cycling, we're going to have to have these kind of products. And what, what kind of bike are you putting those on? It's uh, a Burley, an American bike with an extra cycle on the back. So I, oh, like I took my boy, even though he's got his own spike tires and he rides around to school and stuff, I took him to town uh, on the back of the bike today because he had guitar stuff to do and what have you. So I've got nice. a whole bunch of stuff that I can take on, on that kind of bike. So it's a good bike. So 26-inch mountain bike size clearance on the frame. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, as you're you're talking there, Rich, you were you wanting to, to, to bring up the, the Taichung Bike Show. Well, it's just that, uh, you know, we touch on, we've talked a lot about different industry topics and timing of when things are happening in the industry, ordering and manufacturing and sourcing, and an event that's coming up in the next uh, you know week, I think it's when it starts, is called Taichung Bike Week, and it's a an industry gathering, a loose industry gathering that happens in uh, in and around Taichung in Taiwan. Um, and it was started a few years ago, I think, by a couple of manufacturers to, because of the shifting timing and the ordering from Taiwan and needing to meet with suppliers and factories earlier and earlier. Mm. You know, the traditional Taipei cycle show happens in March, um, wasn't even early enough um, you know, anymore for some of these manufacturers. So they started having small gatherings in hotel rooms. A bunch of them were starting to get together in hotel suites, uh, um, you know, in Taichung at around this time period so that product managers, um, brand managers, you know, could get together and see some early designs, early prototypes, and start the whole process of sourcing materials for, at this point, would be 2012, as crazy as that sounds. Mm, mm. And um, so now it's actually, it's fairly big. It's still very, you know, loose and casual, still just, you know, from what I've, I've never been myself, but, you know, it's just uh, hotel room exhibitions. Mm. I think some, you know, areas might have maybe a ballroom where they have a few manufacturers together. Um, some events called Ride On, mm. along with Taichung Bike Week, and the government of Taichung has kind of gotten involved and endorsed it and is supporting it because they'd like to mm-hmm. see the growth of mm. industry in, the, in their areas. Yeah, and the guy who founded it, Steve, who's a, Steve, he's a Brit. Steve, yes. Yeah. Steve Fenton. Steve Fenton, yeah. yeah. He founded that, and it very much started small. And uh, yeah, I've been constantly surprised at how big it gets each year. It's almost becoming its own you know, show in its own right, like a, a something you'd definitely go across there if you're in that kind of field. Yeah, you have to. It's mm. it's the most important show for product managers, definitely, because mm. the timing of uh, the Taipei show now is such that it's really not a relevant show for spec for mm. that year. You might get an early, early glimpse at Taipei show this year of uh, prototypes that would be available for 2013 product, but 2012 will be done at the end of this month. If you're if you're a product manager, the bulk of product managers anyway are going to be turning in their bill of materials and starting that process by the end of this month. Mm. So 2012, as we know it, is done essentially. So what we're going to see then, Tim? What's what's the exciting stuff coming up? You can tell us. We won't tell anybody. Uh-huh. See, I can't tell anything <laughs> because of all the press embargoes yeah. from manufacturers. You know, but I. The, the new uh, electric Tiagra 13 speed is really cool. <laughs> really cool. Um, but there's, there's a, lot of, uh, a lot of spec that goes on right now. And you know, my, my product manager is over there. Uh, the the ride on show began December 1st and goes till the 6th, I believe. Who's and making smoothies? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That would that would be uh, the lovely Mrs. Mozzie who is making <laughs> breakfast for Mozzie Daughter 2.0, who at the moment unfortunately has a boogie nose. 
so Tim, it's quite good, I must tell you. Tim, where do you record? Where 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 are you in your house? Are you in the kitchen? I'm, I'm at the kitchen table. Yes, I am. <laughs> so you just blown this this whole image of you being like this ultra professional guy and. You're in your kitchen. Oh okay. no, no. Yeah, if I had a basement uh, to go into, I would, I would be there. You know, in in the the dank and the dark. That that's how high tech I am. Well, I, I like all these this audio. I might actually steal some of these. It'd be really good for 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 background noise. It's <laughs> perfect blending yeah. and yeah, tin cans. Yeah, pretty good and... for some random uh, background <laughs> noises. Let's get into the show. And uh, we've circulated. We're now dead professional, aren't we? Now David has set up this this Google Docs for us all to look at. So we're no longer thrown into the deep end of what we're we talking about. We're all singing from the same hymn sheet. And in fact, when when I when, admit, when I'm going to be out of key today. Well, it's so cool when when <laughs> I see you religion. lot. When, when I see you lot going in and editing this, I see your names coming up, and I can see what kind of stuff you're doing. And that's that's I like Google Docs; it's cool. So one of the first things we could uh, we could start talking about, and this is something we 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 sent across uh, yesterday, was uh, Lyon. Uh, Lyon has got this bike share scheme similar to to Washington, similar to to London, but it's kind of Denver. neat in that Denver's got one, has it? How yes. big how big is Denver? Uh, yeah, I don't know how big it is. I know there's a oh, 40 or 50 uh, locations where you can borrow a bike right now. Cool. Um, it's it's going great. The city is already counting the savings for the city itself because mm-hmm. they're requiring city employees to ride bikes rather than take their cars to local locations. And you know, if you walk around Denver, you, Denver, you'll see several of the bikes being ridden, and a lot of the the slots empty on the bike station. Are these so credit cards, Jim? You put a credit yes. card. Yeah. yeah, you can register online and get a reduced rate, or you can just put a credit card in and pay a little bit more for a one-time deal. This is That's pretty cool. spreading everywhere. Online it? registration thing is, is cool. Mm. I don't know if they do that yeah. in uh, in Montreal. They have a very good system called Bixie, mm. uh, and and it's really it, it it gets used quite a lot. It's it's amazing how many of them you see out on the road and uh, mm. how empty many of the stands are mm. during certain times of the day. Well, Bixie is what we have in London. So, oh, you're uh, using the same system. It's, it's the same system. So, Circo, oh, wow. the people who yeah. put that in, uh, they use Bixie. Obviously, much, much modified. But it all crashed on the first day that they released it to the the general public, and it wasn't just members. The whole oh, all these terminals failed. crushed. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm sure that it'll come up. It's just one day, and it was loads of snow, and yeah. it'll come back. Uh, but it, what these uh, all these share bikes uh, reveal. Uh, because they're all data linked and because they're, yeah. they're sending stuff up into the cloud is you actually monitor people's use of these bikes and their mileage and what they're doing. So the, the Lyon scheme has found all bunch of, uh, of interesting uh, snippet. It's about what people are doing on these bikes. And they're finding that when they're measuring the traffic speed and they're measuring the bike speed, they're finding... In rush hour, bikes are always going faster on average than cars. Now, we kind of know that, but here's now concrete proof that bikes, even ridden by people who aren't, you know, extremely muscular, lycra-clad chaps like us, are going quite fast. So, uh, Tim, where, where do you see that's going to take people? Well, hopefully it's going to mean that people are going to actually use the bike systems more when they realize that they can get to their destinations quicker. You know, uh, easing traffic congestion is uh, a, a good thing. I, I know that the um, there, you've seen similar data in London, how it's much faster to get through London during peak congestion times mm. via hell on, on foot. I'm sure it's faster than being in a car. Mm. So, you know, the, the more, the more we can convince people that it's actually practical and not just, you know, thinking about, because we can, we can only go so far with it's good for the environment. It's good for your mm. health, that kind of stuff. There's, you have to hit people. Unfortunately, a lot of times you have to hit them in the wallet because if, if you're going to believe that time is money, if they can get somewhere more practically on a bike versus being in their cars, then maybe they'll start to see the benefit of it. And, you know, I, I, I hate to sound like a cynic, you know, because all the altruistic reasons that we say that people should be on bikes are, are things that I believe in. But mm. 
um, you know, it, I think the reality for the bulk of the population is going to be a little less uh, touchy-feely and full of rainbows and sunshine. It's mm. it's going to be about you know, what does this mean to me financially? Mm. Rich, what well, what do you have in your part of the world? Well, I I think the biggest challenge, other than just the general perception of bikes and cycling by the general public in that it's you know still somewhat of a kid's toy and those crazy guys in tight pants you know do it i think a big thing is just the way not so much in, from the northeast where i'm originally from where you know development is a lot denser because it was developed you know 100 150 years ago mm. california it's just so spread out that the distances you know especially with some of the subdivisions where they weren't developed around little town centers like they were in the northeast and like in europe They'll build a subdivision, and the closest market will be, you know, seven miles away. Yeah, uh, they're built around so freeways. Think, <laughs> well, it is, and, and cars, and um, you yeah. know, it's. Um, I think probably that'll be the biggest impediment out west to really growing, because there are bike lanes out here. I mean, that was one of the things I just loved the most when I moved out here. Is most of the major roads have, you know, striped lanes down the side. Cars seem to be used to seeing cyclists there because it's marked on the road that that's a bike lane. But it's just so far to get everywhere. So a bike share, where, where are they in your part of the world? You, you have city bike shares? The closest to us, I think, Tim, is up in Long Beach. Um, you yeah, know, Long I Beach is so. doing a lot of program. Not Long Beach, but um, what's the, the group that's out of Long Beach? I've met her at uh, a number of different events. Oh, um, Bike uh, Station, I think. Jen, maybe. Yeah, it's Bike Station, isn't it? And um, so it's a combination of you can ride your bike and they'll they'll mm. hold your bike there. They'll even service your bike. But I think they also have some uh, some bike share programs, and they've been expanding to different uh, areas around the country. Jim, are you, not, are you sorry? Sorry, carry on. No, but not nothing that I know of in uh, in the San Diego or or mm. LA area. Mm. Jim, are you are you using the system in Denver? Are you using it yourself? Used, I used it one time when it just opened up. I just wanted to see how it worked. It mm -hmm. was. Uh, I mean, I just sort of giggled the whole time, laughed, because it was just so hilarious to see several other people like me who mm. were used to riding a type, a different bike to be riding upright and riding around the city. But, I mean, Denver's the, the center of the universe for riding a bike. I mean, for 20 years in the bike-to-work day in Boulder, the cyclist beats the car by 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah, for sure. Um, and And... I can leave my house and for other than 12 miles, I can ride 200 miles on bike paths and not really go on the same path twice. Um, doesn't, it's not as direct as Boulder is. I mean, Boulder's bike trails, bike system is designed to get people to and from work. But it's wonderful here in the front range of Colorado. Now, if, if you want to go to the mountains, it's a different story. Mm -hmm. But pretty soon, you'll be able to ride almost the whole way through the mountains on bike paths. Um, a paved bike trail all the way west. Uh, so we're getting there. It's going to work. It's going to be a little difficult <laughs> starting out at 5,000 foot and running up to 10,000 foot on a bike trail. But So who are riding these bikes, Jim? Who, who, who do you think are riding them when you look at these people riding around? In, in Boulder, it's everybody. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, that's just, like I said, that's just the center of the universe for riding bikes. For uh, Denver... Um, you've got a few, I mean, it, it's, it's a growing and growing quickly area. I mean, you went into a bike shop four years ago and you did not see a town bike. And now I don't know of a bike shop that doesn't have several on the floor. Mm. Um, so, so it's, it's starting to take off. It's mm. still mostly the young urban professional, you know, that, that has a little bit of a fitness motive, has a big environmental motive and, and just doesn't want to put up with cars as much anymore. Now, we also can have the weather situation here where we can get two foot of snow, and obviously we all then hop on the city buses or on bike or on cars. Mm. Uh, you know, but in Denver's still a hilly town. I mean, you do have to have a certain level of fitness to be able to get to most of the places uh, if your commute is more than a couple miles. Mm. Well, Jim, I have a question for you. You talked about the bike shops because this is something that I, is near and dear to me. Um, that more and more of the city bikes are showing up in the shops. Are you seeing more and more of those city bikes showing up on the streets as well? Because that seems to be, as an industry, something that we've we've all been flying the flag and, and beating the drum about city bikes, city bikes, city bikes. And yet, as a category, it has underperformed dramatically. We've flooded 
the channel with tons of product, but then you talk to a lot of the shops that I talk to, they haven't been able to give the bikes away. <laughs> huh. That's, you know, w now that you mention it, I can't say because when I look at a bike, I'm always looking for who's got the latest, greatest, fastest bike. Is it better than yeah. mine type of deal? Yeah. Um, but we also have these big cruisers going on, you know, where we get together oh, yeah. at a bar. Yeah, the, the cruiser um, rides are awesome, by the way. Those, those. Are yeah, and 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 we'll have several thousand people show up on a regular basis in Denver, and three or four hundred in Golden uh, out west where I live. That's it is truly amazing uh, to see three or four hundred drunk people on bikes. <laughs> but it's truly amazing to see that many bikes. And I would say a, there's a large percentage of those bikes that are new. Um, yeah. You but know, those not are, just you know, largely cruisers, which are typically a lot less expensive than, a, say, a city bike that usually has a starting retail price point of anywhere from, you know, at the low end, five to $600 hmm. versus and a, a cruiser, a cruiser that you can get for two to three for a, a really nice one. And aside from the yeah. price, I think, I think the cruiser has no pretense. You know, it's not, yeah. you know... You know, a performance bike. It's not a do-good. You know, commuter city bike. It's just about having fun. There's no no pretense. They even come with fun colors. Mm. And big saddles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and 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 cup holders made from yeah. saddles. <laughs> now we're all hoping and 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 dreaming that all these city bike uh, share schemes will actually get new people on bikes. So it kind yeah. of introduces them to yeah. cycling. Do you think that's the case? It's getting really brand new people on, or is it just us when we haven't got a bike in town? We'll use one of these bikes. Well, I I'm think hoping actually, that it's working. I, I've I've heard anecdotally, I, I have heard of people in Montreal because speaking to the again, this is something that that comes very much into my thought. Mm. Uh, but at the the trade show in Montreal, talking to shops that are near these uh, Bixie outlets and wondering if it's hurting their sales. And you know, the, the one shop that, that really had any feedback about it said, no, it's not hurting our sales. And I've actually had a couple of people come in and say that after trying the Bixies and finding that commuting by the bike actually worked, they went back and bought a bike of their own. Because mm -hmm. the Bixie bikes, for as convenient as they are and as inexpensive as they are to use, they're also very, very heavy and kind of yeah. clunky, cumbersome bikes to ride. So... You know, they work really well, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to badmouth the bike, but if you're going to ride every day, mm. it's not the, the perfect bike. And so mm. some of the consumers have gone in and purchased a quote-unquote real bike a light after, one. after the, mm. the Bixie experience. Mm. Now, so, the, you know, to some small degree, it seems to actually convert at least a couple of people. I, I, when I see people in London, it's it's very much the case that these people are these you wouldn't see them on bikes normally yeah and that was actually the people this is like on friday was when the the scheme went to everybody but before that you had to actually become a member uh which is still quite a leap for a lot of people mm -hmm. if they're not already mm -hmm. cyclists and even yeah. then who made that leap these are people i wouldn't normally see on bikes so from my point of view it looks as though certainly in london bike share schemes are bringing new people in now when you get more people on bikes what you're going to have is is the old safety and numbers effect where it's like in going in beijing you got you know 50,000 bikes all of a sudden on one intersection you know cars just can't get through so bikes rule now segueing in from that into a subject that david gave us which was uh, martin Cassani. now he's very familiar to people uh, across here, his his concepts of um, not having traffic lights and freeing up the traffic and and it sounds counterintuitive that if you remove traffic lights and you remove all of these impediments, you think you know like the speed humps and all these kind of things that drivers will suddenly go you know 80 miles an hour everywhere. But he's found and a lot of jurist, a lot of towns who put his ideas into practice have found that when you remove all the street furniture and you remove the traffic lights, it actually makes everybody much more civilized. So he's, he's basing his ideas from a, a Dutch guy called Hans Mondeman, who his ideas are becoming much, much more widespread uh, across in the UK. But 
habit in the US? The, the, the concept of turning off uh, stoplights, would that, would that work, do you think? Tim? Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, you're just licking your chops, Mr. Lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would love to believe that it would. Um, I, don't, I don't have that much experience driving in other countries. I mean, as a driver, obviously, I'm I'm ballast frequently in a, in cars in other countries, but I don't have the the joy of being able to say I've driven in other countries so much. But um, I I don't know if there's a car culture in the world that's as uh, self-involved, self-important as the the U.S. market. Mm. Um, drivers here tend to be so at least in Southern California, boy, uh, that the world revolves around them and their car. And I would love to believe that these are the same people who would pull up to a, a, a naked intersection and go, mm. oh, I better slow down because I don't know what's coming. I, I just, I don't know that that would be the case. See, what, what, what and, Kasani, and, and it's, that's a cyclist that scares the hell out of me. What Kasani is saying, and what a whole bunch of people who are now uh, congregating around him are saying is, well, it's actually traffic lights, and it's these artificial means of, of stopping people that leads to a lot of the aggression, the stop, start, you know, you've got to get away from the lights really quick. Mm -hmm. And if you remove all this, then people don't have that aggression. And of course, it would also have the benefit of people can no longer say, oh, that cyclist is running the red light because there isn't a red light. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like that story a few years ago about the study that people who wear helmets are less safe than those that don't because drivers react differently to people with helmets mm -hmm. and actually cause more accidents because they feel, oh, he's wearing a helmet. Uh, it's not as uh, he's safer. He's, mm. he's safer, and I don't have to give as much shelter. Mm. Is there anywhere? I, I think it's also, I think it's also this in the U.S. at least this kind of drive by the government to try to keep protecting us from ourselves more and more. I remember joking with yeah. someone a few years ago that it seemed like, I said, boy, by the time I'm 60, every single intersection is going to have either a light or a stop sign. It just seems like it just keeps getting added and added and more speed bumps and more stop lights. And mm. I could definitely see that adding, not just the frustration of, look, I just want to go straight and there's no one coming across that, um, you know, that aggression, that feeling, oh, again, stopped. I got to get, you know, got to get going. Mm. Well, it's, it's, it's working out really well for my interval training, though. Because <laughs> yes. I can sprint from stoplight to stoplight. So my stop and go speed and power is getting incredibly good. Mm. It's money. It's yeah. money. It's money. We don't have stoplights because they work. We don't have stop signs because they work. We have yeah. them because they generate millions of dollars for the cities and the counties and the governments. How so? How, how do they generate money? Because people well, run stoplights and they get a ticket for it. Yeah. We, we, the De city of Denver makes a million dollars a month on speeding tickets. Mm -hmm. And don't, don't forget the, the stoplight cameras that are so prevalent now, oh, too. Oh, yeah. $45 every time you get a ticket in the mail or, or, you know, it just generates income for these people. I mean, any city that's adding more stop signs. I mean, first of all, we know that the whole system doesn't work because our jails are overcrowded. If criminal actions really worked, we wouldn't do these things to be thrown in jail or get tickets. I know this personally. I got another one two nights ago. Um, doing so doing it, what? What were you doing? Uh, I was allegedly <laughs> going <laughs> slightly too fast for the local constable. So. <laughs> and this is a camera you were caught on? What were you, what were you caught no, on? This was a real live guy with a real live car and a little radar detector. And this is on your bicycle, of course. You're not talking about a car here, Jim. It was, <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> me on my bicycle speeding around. <laughs> yeah. See, we don't get fined, do we? How can we don't get fined? I mean, we can go faster than these, these 30 oh, miles no, an hour do. limits. Oh, no, we do. We do in California. You I've get fined? Yeah. Wow. What, for speeding? On your bicycle? Yeah. yeah. Really? How so? How, how does that for, work? For, for, for sprinting through a school zone during the posted times of, I forget what it was, you know, 3 o'clock. It was a 25 and I was sprinting through at 30. Yeah? Yeah. Wow. I didn't actually did they, get a ticket, but the, the cop did stop me and write me a warning. Mm-hmm. Well, probably because he was not able to get a definite speed on you on a reliable in a reliable way to take to court. Mm -hmm. um, you did not present a big enough target for a radar gun. For the radar, gotcha. You, there wasn't enough metal on you and your bike. 
or, or uh, yeah. none at all probably I mean, how much you, right. if, you, if you're riding a carbon bike there's going to be just those group sets isn't it so it needs to be the metal you've got to have metal you think well the carbon I mean uh, carbon mostly uh, I think absorbs the radar like stealth um, we're stealth going around right. absorbing radar cool Right. So most of the time we just get warnings. Uh, the exception to the rule is drunk bicycle riding, which most yeah. states actually have. Mm. Um, and it's pretty hard to tell the difference between drunk and sober for some of us, but um, <laughs> the rest of us is pretty easy. Um, so, so back to the driving issues. You know, First of all, we have to, here in the United States, we have to overcome the issues of the cities just eating up the money right and left, um, needing it. And, and if you've noticed, maybe, there have been more tickets issued in the last 18 months to two years than there were to the two, year pro- two years prior because yeah. it's a cheap, easy... So many easy cities are going bankrupt. Right. It's an easy way to get more money because... Everybody uh, breaks the law. Everybody breaks the law. Mm. Mm. And you don't, have to, you don't have to get with group ire or anger over raising taxes. Because it's an individual thing, you don't go out and say, hey, they're getting money from us without a representation because they say, well, you broke the law. Yeah. And the, yeah. whole, the whole system is designed just for a monetary influx. No one will admit it um, outside of law school or you know, certain circles, but it's a monetary issue. So we have to overcome that to begin with from the people. Overcome it in what way? You mean no longer have fines? No longer stop people from breaking the law, Jim? <laughs> yes. The yes, the, what? The, yeah, right. <laughs> I think I think you know maybe I think stepping back a little bit when I drove you know in Germany on the autobahn during mm. Eurobike, mm. it, it was amazing. You know, you can go as fast as you want. Mm. You Lucky. don't have speed traps, but it's it seems like it's almost it's not about the speeding. Just like it's not about stopping at a traffic light. It's about being safe and about you know being conscientious of what you're doing and recognizing how you're supposed to be safe. So it's not the fact that the speed limit is 50 miles an hour and you're driving 60. It's about how, you know, are you being safe? Are you conscientious? Are you smart? Are you intelligent? Are you respectful of all the other users of the road? But as soon as you're off that autobahn, you will be very, very uh, clamped down if you speed. So it seems to be in, in, in Germany and other countries, uh, they have the freedom to go as the hell as fast as you want on the autobahns. But then when you come off the autobahn, you've really got to stick to the speed limit because that's where people are. Do you not think that's, that's, that's kind of fair? Is that a good trade-off where it's only cars? You can go as fast as you want. You, you just kill other people in cars. And then when you come, when there's squishy humans, you've got to slow right down. Do you, would you well, say that's I, a good trade-off? Well, that, that could be the case. And the other thing, when I was researching, knowing that I was going to be driving over there, I was looking at you know, driving culture and you know, how do people behave. And there, mm. there was a comment that they made that to get a driver's license in Germany, I forget the actual number, but it was un, an unreal number of hours of mm. actual classroom training and behind-the-wheel time. Um, and it costs like $2,500 to get a ticket, whereas in the U.S., 16, you can have your parent or your brother you know, mm. teach you how to drive. You go and you pass your, you know, your quick test, and here you go. Go drive. Mm. So I don't know that there's the same level of respect and sort of almost like, I don't know, gravitas of what it is you're doing by sitting behind the wheel. It's just kind of a casual 16, you can get a license, you can go drive. It's not that big a deal. It's not the same as, you know, if you go to buy a handgun, you realize, wow, this is a serious, dangerous, you know, Mm. piece of machinery I'm buying here. I'm going to be very careful about how I handle it, where I handle it, where I point it, what I do with it. Whereas in a car, you just hop in and you go. It's not as big a deal here in the U.S. Mm. And yet, it is the most deadly thing created by man. Yeah, mm. absolute. I mean, we kill more people with cars than we have with bombs or nuclear warheads or anything. Mm. Yeah, it's like nine eleven every few weeks, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Oh yeah, that's that's one of my favorites. You know, we have we have spent ten times more each year on homeland security here in the United States. We have dropped the amount of money we're spending on highway safety each year since 9-11, and yet we kill 10 times more people each year in the United States than we did in one day that we're mm. now spending this money on. 
Mm. And, and that's not to, to denigrate or, or to say that 9-11 wasn't horrendous and we shouldn't, you know, respect and care for the people that died. It's just right. that we need to prioritize our money and where it's going to protect us. And, and maybe I have more of a concern about that since I'm on a bicycle and this deadly thing is whizzing past me. Mm. Um, but um, let's, let's leave death on the streets. And now let's go to uh, Death of Cows, because this week uh, there's been Spanish newspaper reports on <laughs> Alberta Contador's beef. <laughs> and they actually went to his... I love this. They actually went to, to where he said he got his meat, and they've checked all the meat, and they've looked at all the records, and they've said, there's no way on earth that there'd be clenbuterol in, in this meat, so what are you going on about? And of course, Alberta Our Contador's... No! But they're, they're getting to that kind of level. They're going to the actual butcher where he said he got his meat from. So uh, who is still behind Contador here? Is anybody behind Contador on this one? Uh, I, I'm, I think I'm until... always behind him. I'm, I'm, <laughs> he rides a lot faster than I can. <laughs> I'm sure I could take him in a sprint, but I don't think I could take him in a sprint uphill. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it, the, the story from the beginning has been... You know, iffy, especially once the information about the plasticizer oh. showed up. So you know, it's it's hard to it's it's hard to stay optimistic about his his defense. Uh, I thought it was pretty funny early on uh, when uh, the the Spanish government first chimed, or the Spanish Cycling Federation, one of the two, first chimed in and said, "Oh, the idea of of tainted beef is possible." You know defending their guy. Mm. It's, like, it's possible that the beef could be tainted. And then the, the Spanish uh, beef producers were coming around saying, uh-uh, no it ain't. Mm. And now they've, you know, they've, in, in their in their minds, they have proof that their beef is clean because they don't want their entire industry going down because of one athlete who's uh, using them as his scapegoat or scape beef. I don't know what you'd call that, scape cow. <laughs> um, so it, it's it's just kind of... It's funny to watch all of this going on, in you know, just from the rhetoric side of it. Obviously, it's not funny at all, considering what the implications are. But um, you know, and then Wada is is saying, and, and UCI both are saying, look, if you don't penalize him, if you don't punish him, because mm. the evidence indicates that he did something he wasn't supposed to do, mm. whether knowingly or not. Mm. If you don't do anything, we're going to go after him instead. So. We all need to just take a big bite of humble pie and say, "Guess what? You got to go out." Mm. So you know, I, I it's it's hard to say. Yeah, I believe him, but I you know, I haven't seen any of the data, so I can't say anything. But man, oh man, you know, it 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 sure looks like a smoking gun. Mm. Rich, is this bad for the industry because it's dragging on and on and on? Just like they always seem to drag on and on and yeah. on. But is, is this one any more? damage into the industry than previous ones or is it all, just, all in the same caboodle wow um i don't know that uh i mean maybe we're all just sort of over this and we can't be shocked anymore i don't mm. know if you know if this kind of news or this kind of uh you know polemic can really affect us anymore i you know there's been some debate you know I remember a few years ago talking about the lance effect and whether lance coming into cycling really had an effect on the number of bikes sold et cetera. Et cetera. And there was some debate about whether he did or not. So I don't know that something like this, insofar as you know, bike sales, aside from, I, I, I don't know. I I, I think it's think bad, worse for the sport than it is for the industry because there, I I do know of sponsors pulling out because of it. Mm. So I I do know that some of the money is going away mm. uh, for the sport itself. Is it going to mean that people buy fewer bikes? Uh, I don't know. Because I think that people who want to ride, who want to follow the sport, are still going to follow the sport because they've heard about the doping long enough now that it seems to be uh, less of an issue, if you will, for mm. the casual observer and certainly for the the ardent fan. Because we've, you know, those of us who have been spoke sniffers long enough have have seen this happen again and again and again and again. Jim, is it good for the legal profession? Oh, because you guys are making a ton of money here, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, every time any one of those guys gets in trouble, it, it, it's at least 10 to 20 attorneys that get hired. Mm. I think we should promote doping and still make it illegal. <laughs> mm. Good for you guys, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, think about it. Do you really want unemployed attorneys on the street? It, I, I, my heart is bleeding. It's, it's I'm, yeah. I'm really I'm kind of... Think about it. Give me money well, or I think I'll I'd rather have you. attorneys on the street than uh, financial managers because they seem to get away with murder. Mm. Mm. Rich, you, you were going to say something before I interrupted. Well, well I was, at first I was, I was going to say, I think you know, here in the U.S. specifically, I think Alberto Contador is not so well known outside of the hardcore cyclists. You ask mm-hmm. here an American... You know, typical American Tour de France winner, they would say it was Lance, not mm, Alberto. Yeah. So I don't know that you would have that much of an effect on overall U.S. market. But I wanted to ask you, you Carlin, because you've been critical of authorities over the years in these different um, situations and investigations. And it seemed a little strange, you know, WADA going to the meat sources. And it didn't, A, it didn't seem very scientific. It seemed like an interesting intellectual debate. Well, well let's go see, uh, is there any clemuterol in meats? But but it wasn't testing the meat that he ate. It wasn't testing the mm. batch that he got from. And, and it would seem like you know, the, the actual source of clenbuterol and meat would have come from, I think, the, the ranchers themselves. So I was just curious if you had any thoughts on WADA's effort in this particular part of the investigation that they just did. Well, nothing surprises me. Uh, from either dopers or alleged dopers or WADA or UCI, it has become this this circus of anything could happen and it probably will and WADA is meant to be the organization that sets the rules and of course it breaks every single one of its rule rules every single day of, of, the, of the week and doesn't seem to care and nobody else seems to care that they're breaking their own rules so you're right I mean going backwards and looking for for meat uh, and a meat source is clearly 100% un, unscientific if they were indeed doing that which uh, this Spanish newspaper was saying so I don't know how much credence we can give to that but WADA want this 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 sorted UCI want this sorted and of course the Spanish Cycling Federation don't want it sorted so it is going to drag on and it is going to be more money in the, in the pockets of uh, of lawyers by the sound of it and it's going to take quite a few months to get this sorted isn't it I mean, have, can you see when this might be done and dusted no, I don't. I don't see it happening any time in my lifetime. <laughs> I mean, it's just the way the whole system works. I mean, mm. if if it can go slow, it will. If it can go fast, it won't. That's just how this whole thing works because you know that no matter what happens, if the Spanish if, if, if the Spanish Cycling Federation decides to penalize him, then you know what he's gonna uh, you know a- appeal. Mm. And then we're going to get that drug out. If mm. they do penalize him or don't penalize him, then UCI and WADA are going to go after him and mm. drag it back out. So then we'll have this will he, won't he race thing going on for forever. So it, we're nowhere that, near a resolution. We need some WikiLeaks on this. We need to. Yeah, uh, we, we, we need to find out who, uh, who Floyd was really working to <laughs> hack the computer system and uh, you know, find out what's going on. Mm. Amen. Mm. Now, you know, he may nice. tell you. He's in yeah. such a mood. Floyd may tell you right now. Oh, what Floyd yeah. says and what what is true is there's two very Don't different things. There. Well, no. Um, th- th- these guys that that we we revere, they're all on carbon bikes. And uh, the last show we were talking about carbon quite a lot, and we were basically just talking about how wonderful carbon was. And uh, there's this product which we've now seen the video of, and it has was viral a couple of weeks ago on on Twitter, which is the Shelter uh, Carbon Protection Tape, which we can we can I'll link to it on the the show notes, and you can go watch the video. It's basically a uh, it's an acetate type sheet which you, you you put on your bikes, and then if you drop your bike, uh, you, you won't get it damaged. But of course, that raises the question of you drop your bike and you're going to damage it. So uh, how strong, how, how not strong, because it's obviously strong in, in certain directions, but how resilient in a real-world situation is a carbon composite bike? And I'm going to put it that de- to Tim. It depends on how the, the composite is put together. Like with anything, there's uh, varying grades of everything. So you can make a carbon bike that will survive virtually anything. I mean, look, hell, they make airplanes out of it mm. that, you know, they don't fall apart in the sky. And, you know... The engines do sometimes. The engines <laughs> do sometimes, but, uh, you know, it, the, 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 the wings themselves don't snap off every time they come off the ground. So 
carbon can but, do a lot of amazing things. So, but, but I would argue that they know more about the stresses and the forces on an airplane wing than they do on a bicycle. Oh, heck yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would agree with that 100%. They also over-engineer airplanes. I mean, airplanes are made of a, a whole ton of carbon, and they, they make yeah. it much, much stronger than it ever would need to be, whereas bikes, one would presume, are actually made kind of light by not exactly. using quite was, as much carbon. I was going to say, that's, that's the thing, is that the, with bicycles, the pursuit of lightweight is the downfall mm. of what carbon can do. And you look at, uh, you know, for years there's been this debate over what frames are really made out of because a lot of people market that their frames are made 100% out of like the newest version of, of ultra-high modulus. And then you talk to most manufacturers, uh, the actual factories, and they'll tell you, uh-uh, because ultra-high modulus is incredibly light, incredibly stiff, but also incredibly brittle. Hmm. So a frame made 100% out of UHC is most likely going to crack pretty quickly. So, you know, it, it depends on what you're designing the frames to do and, and all of that. So if, that you, if you make them too light, if you make them too rigid, then, yeah, they're more susceptible. But a lot of people in cycling, especially the athletes, uh, are willing to make that sacrifice for the performance advantages that they believe that they're getting. Yeah, but the athlete I mean, is going to get a bike and then ditch it after one race. You know, they, yeah, if they drop exactly. it, who cares? It, it's the there people who are paying good money for these things. Exactly, and that's that's why consumers have to be informed mm. and have to take into consideration their real world application mm. versus, uh, you know what they see at the tour because the guys at the mm. tour I can tell you are not racing an entire season on the same bike it mm. just doesn't happen on top of the fact that they have highly trained mechanics who are going over those bikes every single day so if something is gonna go wrong that mechanics gonna see it early on that's why you see so few bikes that fail in mm. races it happens but given the number of events that that we have it's a tiny, tiny percentage, and that's because they're they're taken such good care of, and the fact that the athlete has, you know, sometimes up to a half a dozen bikes at their disposal that day. Rich, do so, you do you see manufacturers? They recommend torque wrenches for for fitting uh, parts onto carbon bikes, but do you think consumers are using torque wrenches? Um, no, and I think that whole well, the torque wrench thing. Probably, I'm sure Jim would have something to say on that. It's probably you know a legal thing of mm. uh, just trying to back away from any liability that might exist. Look, I, I think, and I worked when I was first getting in the industry for a company that made carbon fiber products. And the big thing to remember is when you're buying carbon fiber, is it's a high performance you know material and it has a very different you know failure mode than steel or even mm -hmm. aluminum that we're all used to you mm -hmm. crash on a steel bike it's going to dent it'll bend a tube a lot of cases you get back up and you keep riding it's a little out of true but you just keep going you crash on a carbon bike and you know in many cases depending on the impact it'll it'll crack it'll splinter it'll explode it'll look incredibly dramatic and I know in a lot of cases, and there's that great photo, you know, you were circulating that busted carbon mm -hmm. uh, website, mm -hmm. that Mark Cavendish photo of him mm. in the process of going down <laughs> and his front carbon wheel mm. is cracked. So mm. your first thought yeah. that comes to mind, oh my God, that wheel collapsed and he's going down. Mm. Well, no, he started going down. I, I think in this case, it looks like his wheel yeah, got full ridden sprint. cracked. Mm. But, you know, you crash in the heat of competition. You go down hard, you crash, you stand up and you see a broken wheel or a broken frame. A broken fork and like oh my god it, it disintegrated unsafe. And, went down. I, and I think that's a very you know common you know expected you know, un, you know uh, understandable reaction but it's a very different material it is super strong it's mm -hmm. incredibly light it's it you can dial in the performance and the handling it's 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 smooth it's comfortable it's all those things that that marketers of carbon products say it is but it, it is different. It'll behave differently. And I think you have to understand that going into it and be prepared that it will behave differently and you can't just treat it the same way. And uh, while it performs incredibly well in some areas, you know, there are some durability, let's say, drawbacks. Um, mm. you know. So would That's you why the, the bulk of carbon material out there, if you look at the warranty on it, there's mm. 
only a few manufacturers that extend a lifetime warranty on any kind of carbon product. Most mm. of them have a defined warranty period because it is acceptable or accepted that carbon product is not a permanent product. Mm. Uh, and, and why you look at carbon handlebars, carbon stems, carbon seat posts, nearly every one of them that's manufactured comes with a little bit of information that says check your product you know before every ride not just mm. you know the next time you clean your bike you might want to take a look at your carbon handlebar and stop yeah. when you're doing a 50 mile an hour descent and just stop halfway down yeah. check your bike yeah. Yeah. then because you might crash there's all are not. kinds of disclaimers all over the place <laughs> well the, you, it, know, it, you comment that it's not a permanent bike you know is true but then when you combine the fact that it's not permanent with the fact that most carbon bikes are way more expensive than any other material bike, you get that feeling. I, I've, I've heard it so many times in the past. I paid $5,000 for this. It should last forever. Yeah. It shouldn't, forever. It shouldn't yeah. crash. It shouldn't you know, uh, fail this way. So you combine those two things, you know, the fact that it is high performance and not you know, as durable in a crash or in these everyday non-riding you know, impacts and stresses that they, that they suffer, Combine that with a high price, and and you're, you're setting yourself up for a disappointed customer down the road in a lot of cases. Um, mm -hmm. And it, then you combine, you know, you, in the case like BustedCarbon.com, I think that's a bike shop. Mm. You get the bike shop that's kind of stuck in the middle between the upset customer mm. and the manufacturer on the other side. And right. and I can see them doing this, and it's easy to you know want to sort of just blow this up and just. You know, take on that whole JRA, the just riding long and mm. the cinder yeah. underneath you while I was riding kind of... Uh, is is the industry not in the clear on this one, though? Because it, it, it does what actually a lot of people complain about in, in one sphere, and that is it markets itself to enthusiasts and talks about the performance. Well, if it's marketing these kind of products at that kind of level, it's kind of telling people... These are performance products. These you shouldn't expect these to last, you know, any more than a few hours if you're riding them. Uh, these are race products. So, is the industry in the clear, or do you think there's any uh, uh, reasons for thinking? Well, actually, the industry should be stressing that these things could happen. Jim, what do you think? I, well, how do you think the industry's oh, doing? Yeah, there, there's no way we'll the get industry started. <laughs> yeah. The clock is go. ticking. Yeah. Oh, well, if it's ticking, I'm charging somebody. That's all there's to it. No, there's no way the industry's in the clear. Um, mm -hmm. If you read the marketing material that's that's coming out, and if you read the consumer publications, mm -hmm. the, you know, the carbon bikes are being compared with the high-end uh, scandium and steel bikes and, and everything else. And so there's no differentiation in the mind of the consumer when they walk into the bicycle store that carbon may be different. And mm -hmm. then, I mean, I, I've never seen any magazine say, hey, carbon can break. Um, and, and this is how and why. Uh, you go into the retail store and so that puts the burden on the retailer to say, you're spending three, four, five thousand dollars on a bike that you're going to be replacing every one, two, three, or five years. Mm. Um, and and what's the poor retailer supposed to do? I mean, this person walks in with with the money to buy. They want a carbon fiber bike because they read about it in a magazine, and the retailer has to talk them out of it. Mm. Um, that's that's very difficult to do. Um, and, and I think we're going to be seeing a lot more information come down on carbon fiber. I think we're going to see a lot more of the manufacturers finally start to say, I mean, I walk the shows at, at Interbike, uh, Rich's venue, and the manufacturers will pull me aside and say, hey, you know, what do you think about this issue? Um, we're no longer doing this with carbon fiber because our tests show it doesn't, can't hold up or it can't sustain you know, speed bumps in the road. Mm. Um, I mean, I have two carbon fiber bikes. Well, one and a half. Um, and, and I love them. But at the same time, I now get a little worried. I'm going downhill fast. So this uh, shelter carbon protection tape, who, who thinks that's a, 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 a product that they would want to put on their bike? Me. <laughs> Having broke one carbon fiber bike, I... And I had some tape on it, mm -hmm. uh, and I saw that uh, a month or so ago when the first video came out about it and was impressed. Um, now, at the same time, when one of my carbon fiber bikes went back to the manufacturer to be repaired, 
they gave me a lot of grief over the fact that I had put tape over the frame, a tape that was made for bicycle frames, to keep it from getting these stone pits, mm. you know, and ruining the carbon. That they weren't happy with that. Um, but I think that if if you're serious about holding on to your carbon bike and you're serious about not hitting the ground at 60 miles an hour, hmm. you may want to look into it. Tim, is that kind of a product that you would recommend to a consumer buying one of your your what, what's your bike brand again? Is it Canon? Canon? Cannondale? Matt, that's the one. Yeah. Would you recommend that product? For all you drinkers out there, mozzy, mozzy, mozzy. You're playing the home game. That is 50 minutes into the show. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, you know, I, without knowing more about it, it's hard for me to give it an endorsement, uh, uh, and maybe that's some of my protecting my brands. Uh, and, there's an, and there's a lawyer on the show as well, so <laughs> exactly. Uh, Where you know, it's hard. It's hard to say. Um, the the guy in the video who's talking about it is a, a, a guy I trust. He's mm. someone I do business with. Um, you know, Tom Petrie. He's a, a, a super good guy, um, mm. and I know Tom wouldn't just sell stuff that that wasn't. A relevant product. Uh, I trust him that much, um, but without looking at it, you know, up close and using it, man, it's hard to say. But if if I were a consumer who had concerns about the the durability and the environment that I ride in, mm. then I might use it. Yeah, I, I think much the way Jim was using tape on his own bike. Mm. Um, you know, if you're if you've got a carbon cyclocross bike, for example, why wouldn't you consider running that at least along the underside of your down tube to protect mm. it against chips and things like that? Mm. Uh, yeah, from that standpoint, it, it's no different than having a chain stay protector on your frame mm. to protect it from chain slap. Mm. Why not use something that's you know a ballistic grade of, of a chain stay protector? Rich, you seen them at Interbike? Have they ever been exhibited? They yeah, they are an exhibitor at the show. Mm. Um, so I mean I don't know my my only thoughts are is just uh, you know it seems a shame that you have to armor up a product like that mm. um, you know with something else so okay I see there's a you know I believe there's this potential draw side, drawback or weak you know Achilles heel on this product so I'm going to buy something else to make it you know to bring it back up again seems mm. a little unfortunate but um, but you know again you know people are spending a lot of money on uh, on these bikes and. Um, uh, it, it you know from the manufacturer side, I know, you know, having dealt with some things like this, where add-on products or customizations have been pitched towards products that I've you know been involved with, and you just never know what it is. You know, just got to make sure. I mean, obviously, you know, like Tim said, this is a reputable company; they've been in the industry a long time. But uh, you know, make sure from your manufacturer that it's uh, that it's okay and it's not going to have any interactions with any particular coatings or materials or anything like that or on the uh, you know that are on the frame. Mm, what about warranties? Maybe maybe Jim could talk about that. If you're putting this stuff on, would that would that do you think it would lessen any warranty on a bike? Because you're, you're you're making this bike into a different bike. You bet. I mean, I don't know of a warranty, and I wouldn't write a warranty for a manufacturer that didn't say you you know you screw up the frame like this, and that's how you would describe it from the manufacturer standpoint. Mm -hmm. You know, the warranty is void. Um, and, and warranties in carbon fiber are changing every day. I mean, when we first saw carbon fiber bikes, they came out with almost lifetime warranties, and now they're very, very few mm. that are more than a year. Um, and so that's going to be an issue. Um, and as Rich said, you know, here you've got this high-end uh, piece of equipment, and now we have to add stuff to it to make it safer. Uh, the whole concept's a little confusing, probably in the minds of most consumers. Mm. But obviously, someone saw the need for the for that uh, item, and uh, you know, I mean, each I would just contact the manufacturer and say, "Is there going to be a warranty problem?" Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, maybe this is a product that uh, we'll all get for Christmas now. Now that we've mentioned it so much, uh, and let's go into to the final part of the show, which was uh, the, the the tips, and it can be a seasonal tip. Or it could be a cycling present that you'd like a family member, maybe a close family member, to, to get you. So maybe you'd want to get this carbon protection tape. Maybe you wouldn't. But uh, let's. Who can I come? Who can I pick on first? Like, Tim. What? What? Oh, what? what I knew it was tip be. or Prezi? Would you like? Oh, jeez. Fortunately, I actually researched this because I saw it several <laughs> times uh, on my trip. Um, I was traveling on the East Coast with our sales rep, uh, Keith Murphy. 
And Keith also, uh, as an independent sales rep, he uh, carries the Castelli clothing. Mm. And uh, one of the things that I saw in a number of the shops that were carrying his product uh, from Castelli, and this is both a tip and a present I would love, uh, is the new Castelli radiation jacket. Mm -hmm. Now, in Southern California, I have zero need for a jacket (laughs) that would protect me uh, from, you know, icy days of negative five. But uh, the jacket itself is so cool, and it has, you know, those, those packable emergency uh, blankets that they, they wrap people in. The silver the things. Aluminum foil. Mm, yeah, mm. aluminum foil stuff. This jacket has a removable vest liner made mm. of that material so that you basically, like a baked potato mm. in an aluminum foil wrap, bake while you ride. So in really, really cold weather, this jacket is just awesome. But that zips out. And mm. but the front of the jacket is also made out of a windstopper material, mm. which is awesome material. Mm. And you know, the, the jacket is is really, really cool. Uh, or I should say really, really warm. So you you want somebody to buy this for you? This is this is something that you're you're saying out loud right now, so somebody in close proximity might then go and buy you. Size extra large. <laughs> like the black. Just saying. Richard, how about you? Would you, do you want to give a tip or do you want to give a, a present that you'd like somebody to buy you, a cycling present? I'm, I'm, going, to, um, I'm going to put something on my Christmas list for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say, you know, purely for not because I'm in training to do anything important, I'm just kind of curious. After seeing enough friends with power measurement devices, mm, I, yeah. ages and ages ago, I threw my hands up with all the computers and everything else that I had on my bike and said, you know what, I'm never going to use it again. From the amount of times I broke the cables to having to readjust, going from different wheels, readjust the magnets to line up and not line up, I said, you know what, I'm just going to ride. And I just took, I've I've never had, I haven't had a computer on my bike for like 10 years, but Hmm. I really have gotten jealous of some of my friends uh, who have, you know, some of the power measurement, you know, the SRMs and and so on, and looking at the cool little graphs. And I just want to know, how do I compare to Cipollini in an all-out sprint? So I would love if somebody would get me some type of power measurement device. You know, it doesn't have to be the full-on, you know, top-of-the-line SRM system. Uh, so but, it's a uh, Castelli jacket, a power measurement device. We're talking kind of big bucks here. We're not talking like an inner tube here, are we? I've, I've got the inner tube thing uh, taken <laughs> care of. I, <laughs> These are expensive uh, presents you're asking for, though. Wow. Well, I don't get to ask people for gifts very often, so mm. <laughs> there's a you know look with well, all the listeners know, to David claims that we have. You know, <laughs> exactly. If they I mean, they can chip in. in. Chip in. Yeah, if yeah. They all pitch in. We can all get a power meter. Cool. Jim, 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 Jim. How uh, about you? I have I have several things on my list. I want a helmet designed to take bike crashes. That doesn't look like it was issued by the U.S. Army or Harley Davidson. Now it has to be made by some manufacturer first. That I know is a whole new podcast. Or I want a jersey that's designed to protect your collarbones in crashes. Mm-hmm. Or I want my 2007 Conago Cristallo back from the manufacturer and fixed. Wow. So this is real pie-in-the-sky stuff here. This is not something you're going to get this year, I take it. <laughs> and that and that just confirmed that he is, in fact, a lawyer since he can afford a Camargo Cristallo. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Let, let, oh. let, let me give you mine. And mine is not actually mine at all, but this is just a, like it's a, a mix between a, a tip and a product. And this is something I, I retweeted earlier today, and it's from, it's from Yeti Charge. And what he said was, uh, top of my Christmas list was a Yeti hoodie. His uh, fiance said no. So he said, oh, "Oh, he wants the cycle passion calendar. And she's now on the Yeti website. So basically, say you want the cycle passion calendar and you can get whatever you want because people don't want to buy that for you. And I can certainly vouch for that because it certainly can't come in my house. Right. Well, this has been pretty much an hour long show. We've done really well to, to, to rein our passions in there. Uh, let's go down uh, the, the list and get all our contact information out there. So starting with Tim, how do we contact you, Tim? 
You can find me, obviously, at moziebikes.com. You can find me at moziguy.com. You can find me at, uh, at Tim Jackson on Twitter, also on Facebook, Timothy Vance Jackson. So I'm, I'm all over the place. That's a hog just going past. Is that your house there, Tim, where <laughs> hogs just gone past? We've got yeah, all the sound the effects coming from you today. <laughs> Babies, Harley yeah, Davidsons. <laughs> right, Rich, Rich, how can we contact Rich? Um, you can contact me at Interbike on Twitter. That's an easy one. Uh, I promise to start blogging again very soon at interbiketimes.com. And then if you want any info about uh, the big show, it's at interbike.com. Cool. And Jim, tell us about all your blogs and how people can get in touch with you. <laughs> First of all, Twitter, uh, Recreation Law, one word. Facebook, rec.law.now. Or you can go to my Facebook page, which is Outdoor Recreation Adventure Travel Law, or my blog slash website, which is www.recreation-law.com, or you can email me at cycling.law at gmail.com. Jim, tell me, how is all this social media stuff benefiting your business? Do you find that this is a great marketing tool for yourself? Well, my therapist says that it's a great outlook outlet for me. So, verbal I diarrhea. Hoping. I keep hoping. Cool. Well, I'm Carlton Reed, and I'm the executive editor of BikeBiz.com, and I blog at QuickRelease.tv. And I used to podcast, but now David's given me this instead. And uh, I'm at carltonreed at mac.com. And this has been episode 56, would you believe? 56 of the Spokesman Roundtable podcast. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank you much. Uh, thank you very much for from Tim and from Richard and from Jim for uh, contributing all of today's fantastic uh, bit of discussion. And uh, what does David say? He says, get out there and ride. Is that what he says? Oh, no. Wait. The new one is... Oh, it's a new the one. spokesmen have spoken. That's, that's right. Because get out there and ride. Isn't that Fredcast? I think so. Yeah. So there you go. Now, that, well, that gives me another uh, opportunity to, to say, go vote for David in the podcast awards, of course. But yes, the spokesmen have spoken. Then feel free to jump in yourselves, yeah? Right. Okay, we're, we're ready to rock and roll. Welcome to episode 56 of the Spokesman Cycle. Like, ooh, first blooper. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get it out of the way early, right? Yeah, I know, but I can cut these out, so I'm okay. <laughs>